do that. Not just for the world around us, but for ourselves. Well, Paul states this in, in what at first seems a strange contrast. He contrasts, in, you know, before he's been contrasting lack of wisdom, wisdom. You know, understand God's will, be foolish. And then this last contrast seems strange. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. At first, those theme, things seem like they have nothing to do with each other. Now, first, let's take the contrast, the, the negative. Don't, do not be drunk with wine. Now, this is fun because I don't know when the last time we talked about alcohol at Cross of Grace was. So, uh, this, this would be exciting. Um, I see you all, former Baptists. We love you. Do, and Presbyterians, I see you too. Okay, so, two extremes there. Do not be drunk with wine. What does that mean? Well, first, it means don't get drunk with alcohol. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking that so far? Everybody together on that? It's pretty clear. Everybody can agree on that very clearly. There was a specific application Paul had in mind in Ephesus because this was a, a, a city of debauchery. Remember, this is a city with cultic prostitution. And so uh, pagan rituals often involved alcohol, and sexual promiscuity, right? You get in the picture, and sometimes Christians in America are like, man, nobody in history would understand how crazy and messed up our culture is. It's just never happened before. And the Ephesians are like, yep, I got, I got you, bro, right? There were constant, cultic, drunken, uh, immoral rituals happening at the temple regularly by both residents and tourists. That's the culture they're in. And so as a result, all of the city's culture flowed downstream from that. And so drunkenness was not a, a, a remarkable thing in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is clear. He steps in and he clearly says drunkenness is not right or biblical. It is a sin. Now, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. How can Paul say that? This is the same Paul that in one of his letters to Timothy tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, I know you have some ailments I want you to make sure to take, and this is literally in, in Timothy, uh, I want you to take some wine for the sake of your frequent ailments. So Paul is, is the same Paul who's saying this and saying that, right? Um, and, and we don't know exactly what Timothy's situation is. I don't want anybody taking the, take some wine for the sake of your frequent ailments and going like, amen, brother. You know, like that's, that's not Paul's intent. It's not Paul's intent. But, but, but he does say both those things. So, so what it then is the point? What is he trying to say? Well, this is, I believe, what, what Scripture would say in, in Paul and throughout the Bible. Any level of alcohol that impairs your judgment or lowers your inhibitions leading to sin is wrong and sinful. And that, that applies not just to alcohol, but to drug use as well. Right? You might think, well, drugs aren't in the Bible. Yes, they are right here. And notice, notice that it says, uh, it talks about lead, wine that leads to debauchery, meaning the connection between the act itself and lowering your inhibitions and impairing your judgment often leads very clearly to other types of sin. Coarse joking, foolish talk, immorality, all that stuff. Paul sees the connection clearly and he's warning them, don't do it. And what is what is clearly in view here is this kind of lifestyle in Ephesus where you fill yourself up with alcohol and then out of you comes these sinful things. And he's saying, brothers and sisters, what are you doing? You, you, you can't live like this. And it applies to us in a variety of ways. The principle should apply in a variety of ways, not just alcohol use, but to drug use. And I would even say there are implications for other types of compulsive behavior that lower our inhibitions and impair our judgment, uh, such as, as gambling or, or video game and movie binges without self-control. Or I would even say, I think this raises a, a solid yellow flag even over our use of social media. Social media is documented to be extremely addictive um, to lead to depression, to lead to um, making unwise decisions at, at, at different points. Now, it's not the same as alcohol. I'm not saying social media equals alcohol. What I'm saying is anything in that ballpark that lowers our inhibitions and, and reduces our self-control, we must use extreme caution with. But the contrast here is instructive. Don't be filled with wine, but be filled 
with the Spirit. Now, we're going to take a whole week next week to talk about this theme of being filled with the Spirit. But notice how extraordinary what Paul is saying is here. In Ephesians 2, we start off far from God, separated eternally from God. But then, through Christ, we are reconciled to God. But notice how we're reconciled to God. We're not reconciled to be in the ballpark. We're not reconciled to be kind of close. We're not even reconciled to God so that we now sit next to one another. We're reconciled to God on such a level that through the Spirit's work, the presence of God now fills our hearts. Like that is theologically unbelievable given our starting point. We've gone all the way from far off to being filled with the very presence of God. And that's extraordinary. And so what Paul is saying is not, hey, 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 nobody have any fun over here. Everybody try not to like anything and just be kind of, uh, kind of like Vulcan-y and, and logical about everything. Don't enjoy things. Don't be filled up with anything. No, no, that's not what Paul says. Paul says you're filled with the wrong thing. You're overflowing with the wrong thing. Meaning, don't be filled with something that leads to regret and shame be filled with the very presence of God, which will then overflow. And what it says here is overflows in singing, overflows in gratefulness, overflows in relating to one another rightly. And so Paul is contrasting these two things. This thing, you overflow with sin. This thing, you overflow with joy, thankfulness, grace, peace. Like, which one do you want to be filled with? Which would you rather choose? And be clear, it is a choice. It is a choice. Which will you lean into and give yourself to? Now, how does this happen? Well, they're going to talk about that next week, but, but let me just say this. I think in the context of Ephesians, being filled with the Spirit is a, a, the command to be filled with the Spirit is a paradoxical command because we can't fill ourselves with the presence of God. The, 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 the language here is filled with the Spirit, with the presence of God, and we can't make that happen, but we're commanded to do it, which is like, that doesn't make any sense. Make sure your cup is full, but you don't control the faucet, right? Like, how am I supposed to do that? Put the, put the cup under the faucet. <laughs> That's the command, right? Put the cup under the faucet, meaning obey the things that God has told you to do, and you will be met by the power of God. And follow Paul's example. Have you noticed him praying throughout the book? Have you noticed that? He's constantly praying throughout the book, and he's praying in a specific way. He's praying that the church would grasp the love of God so that they could be filled with the fullness of God and presence of God in their lives. So what Paul is doing is he's encouraging the church, act and ask. Act and ask, right? Act in the ways that God has commanded you to act and you'll be met with the power of the Spirit and ask for God to show you his love and fill you with his power and his presence, right? Act and ask. That's what it means to lean into the power of the Spirit. And so let me just ask you, at the beginning and end of the day, which is what we're working on today, the beginning and the end of the day, are you leaning in to encountering the presence of God? Right, you just start your day, and, and listen, I, listen if, you're, if you're one of those people that you wake up, some people wake up and they pop off the pillow, like my son, one of my sons is like that, he just wake up, boom, ready to go. That is not my experience. If that is your experience, we thank God for you. Um, there's also a proverb about uh, a friend that is too loud in the morning that you need to read. <laughs> but we thank God for you. But if you're one of those people, you're like, man, I don't know. Too often we wake up, fatigue, roll into our routine, and just begin doing things. And there is no pause in our lives where we do what Paul has modeled for us to do. Where we pause, we think about how am I going to invest my time today? We ask, we, we look at God's word for wisdom, Lord, how should I invest my time today? And then we say, Lord, help me to act as you've called me to in my word, in your word, and help me to go through my day asking for more of you as I do all these things. That pause should be a part of the life of every Christian. Otherwise, we simply drift into, otherwise what we're doing is we're just lining up, getting in the chairlift and going to the top of the mountain. And only halfway through the day do we realize, uh-oh, I don't know if I wanna get on this chairlift, right? 
look carefully, think carefully, pause, ask. And at the end of the day, maybe, maybe you have no control in the morning. Maybe the, it's the end of the day that you spend time pausing, reviewing the day. Lord, how did I do? What did I invest my time in? Help me. Show me with your word. Give me more of yourself. Fill me with your presence so that sin has no allure or good taste. Look, the, the command here is basically God saying, stop wasting your life on the cheap stuff. Stop wasting your life when you have something better to drink. Stop filling yourself with empty carbs that are going to make you feel gross in like an hour. Uh, instead, pull your chair up to the feast of God and the presence of God. That's his plea here. Now, in conclusion, let me just, let me encourage you to see the two paths that Paul lays out here. There's one path, and there's one kind of person on that path. There's a person who lives thoughtlessly. They're just carried along by the current of the world. They waste their opportunities in this life as the years tick by. They end up making foolish decisions and mistakes that follow them throughout their life. They give themselves to whatever feels good in the moment, but their judgment is clouded and impaired and causes harm. And in the end, they feel burnt out and frustrated and full of regret, carrying around a low-grade sense of uneasiness about meeting God at the end of life. Or there is another path and another person laid out in Ephesians 5, a person who carefully considers how they live. They're not pushed and pulled around by the world's current. They think carefully about what they give their time and attention to in life. They spend time understanding how the world works according to God's created order through his word. They try to honor God and live well. They give themselves to the presence of God and lean into it, asking for more of it. And as a result, they are joyful, thankful, honoring people who others love to be around. And in the end, they look back on a life that was not perfect, but it was faithful. Look, brothers and sisters, that's what we're aiming for. None of us will, aim, will, will perfectly invest our time. We'll make a wise decision in every respect, not this side of heaven. What we're aiming, though, for is faithfulness that we'd be able to, to the best of our abilities, to look at how we've spent those years of our life, those minutes, those hours, and say, you know what? I did my best to invest them wisely, and I did my best to lean into the presence of God, not the pleasures of the world. And I can, I can meet the Lord now. And as we end, let me just remind you once again that what's at stake here is not just us, what Paul, Paul has been saying is, is that, that we as Christians are to live different than the people around us. That, that, that verse, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That, that is meant to be us. We're meant to be a light to the people around us. And so what's at stake is not just our lives, but really the fate of the world, if I could state it that way, because I think it's biblical, that, that others would look at our lives and see something different. I'm not going to lie. Our lives will be weird and inscrutable to the people around us because we will invest our time very differently than other people will. We will make decisions very differently than others will. We will pursue things like the presence of God instead of the pleasure of sin, unlike others. But that difference is where the light shines through. That difference is that pinprick of light in the middle of the darkness that others around us go, why? Why is that different? And if we lose our distinctiveness, we lose the mission that Jesus has given us in the world. So let me end with Psalm 90, verse 12, which says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray, and then we're going to end with communion. And Lord, we pray um, right now that as we're about to end, Lord, I pray for anyone today that does not know you, uh, does does consider themselves a Christian, Lord, that you would speak to them, you'd reveal yourself to them, Lord, that you would send the presence of God to be with them, Lord, that, they would, that you would grow in their heart an earnestness and a desire to answer the big questions of life. Lord, I pray that they would sense today that they were made for a purpose, they were made for a creator that their heart longs for, and they were made for a purpose that is eternal. I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. And I pray for us in Christ, Lord, I pray for anyone that maybe as we went through this feels a bit condemned or feels, man, I, I have not been spending my time well or wisely. Lord, I pray that they would be met this morning by the grace of God as we're about to take communion, that they would receive the grace of God and the forgiveness of God as we remember your forgiveness given to us on the cross. 
And I pray for anyone who feels as though they're doing well. Lord, may we not uh, react out of arrogance, but let us remember we are never beyond the reach of God's grace. We will never outgrow our need for it. And we ask for grace then to continue the path. May this, for some, be just an encouragement today that the things they're giving themselves to, although the world may think they're strange, in light of the wisdom of God, they're the best things. Amen. Well, please take the communion elements in your hand. If you are a Christian, we invite you to participate with us. And if you're not a Christian, we'd love for you to refrain. We'd ask for you to refrain from partaking of the elements. But we'd love for you to see the invitation of God extended to you through this act. And if you would, I'd love for you to take that, the bread in your hand and the cup in your hand, Christians. Because in communion, we are given reminders every week. 1 Corinthians 11 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are reminded, brothers and sisters, that the sacrifice of Jesus has purchased us and that our response then is that our lives are not our own, that we offer them as God has offered himself freely to us, we offer ourselves freely back to the Lord. We are reminded that the cross of Christ seems foolish to the world when in reality it is the wisdom of God. So may we resolve that if God calls us to live strangely in a way that seems foolish to the world, and we remember that it is simply the way of the cross. And we are reminded that restoring us to relationship with God was God's purpose in and behind the cross. It is a miracle then that we can be met by and filled with the Spirit of God because of what Jesus has done. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please take the bread. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Please take the cup. Now please stand and join us in singing.